Welcome, everybody. And I'm just going to get, I'm going to stop saying numbers because I think the last three podcasts I've gone number 11 turned out to be 10. Pizzagate screwed this all up. Lindsay can screw things up even not being here. So I think technically this is going to be number 14 or 15 or something like this. But we'll just say the next episode of Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. Really cool. We've got Blake Street Bomber in here. Bomber, welcome to Audio Realm Studios in downtown Richmond, Texas. I know you're a music dude, so cool of you to actually come into the studio and check it out. But welcome to Richmond. Thank you. This place is sweet. Got a vocal room, got some percussion, guitars, slide guitar behind me and an incredible mixing studio across the hall. I know. <laughs> I was like, time to start the pod. Get away from the mixer. Come on. Come on. Hold on. I need a little bit longer in here. Well, you need... I never knew this. I always thought recording studio, they put all the, you know, insulation and sound muffling stuff so that music and sound wouldn't get outside. Took me a while to figure out, no, you don't want sound bouncing around and you have multiple different recordings. You know, you don't want to hear the, the reverb, if you will. Sure, yeah. Off of that. No idea. And so as we kind of sit in this room, it's one, it's not square. There are many angles, so you're never having a straight bounce back of the sound. And they're padding everywhere. You know, and it was designed to be this way. Yeah, some of this acoustic treating's pretty neat. I don't know what that honeycomb stuff is behind you, but uh, that, that could just be art too. Yeah, <laughs> it is pretty cool looking. It is. I'm a wine guy, so that to me looks like cork. <laughs> it probably is cork. So, bomber, what can you tell the audience about who you are? Not trying to dox. If you want to dox, go ahead. You know. Uh, the, the pod that came before you, Energy Credit, and I know you haven't heard it because we recorded it Monday night. He doxes. Does he? He comes out. All right. Well, good for him. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do that today. I think if you want to dig hard enough, you could probably find out who I am. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm uh, down in Houston for a couple days this week. I'm from Denver. Um, you know, I work in, in the midstream section of oil and gas, uh, you know, my mid-30s and... Um, Trying to do some exciting stuff right now out with a couple other guys. And, um, you know, we got a handful of meetings this week and um, just pretty excited to be able to sneak in the Chuck Job podcast. Well, and I actually I actually want to hear about your your meetings this week because people are always calling me, asking me, you know, how's the market going? I'm like, fuck, I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, it's COVID. It's crazy. It, it happened. But the other thing I think we need to say at the front end real quick that – Everyone on EFT knows, but others that are listening to this don't know. I mean, you're EFT's DJ, right? Yeah, it's kind of turned into that. Um, you know, it's funny. You, you, uh, you've started doing this thing where you ask everybody to put together Spotify playlists. And uh, when I started thinking about it, and I guess it'll probably be published when you put the Yeah, the, we'll, the we'll tag out. we'll tag the uh, pod description and we'll tag your playlist in there. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I... Uh, I, I did not have any experience DJing before COVID. And it was one of these things where I had some synthesizers and some drum machines and uh, like Ableton already installed on my computer and was just kind of making loops and beats and things like that. And uh, was with some guys right when everything got locked down. I was actually done in Telluride skiing and, and I was like, what the fuck am I gonna do? 
for these next couple of weeks. They're like, you should buy a mixer, you know? You should buy a mixer and make some beats and put it on Twitch and we'll watch. And I was like, okay. And are so, you serious? So that was COVID? Yeah, that was March. No way. So are you a music person growing up? I mean, are you bit, the yeah. kid in the choir taking piano lessons? Or uh, I mean, I can like find my way around some instruments. Um, I wouldn't say anything great, which is kind of why the beat making and drum machines and things like that uh, are, are a little bit easier. It's quantized and you don't have to have great timing or really deep knowledge. But um, I'm a kind of a baseball junkie and uh, I won a handful of, I've actually won too many seven out of 11 uh, fantasy baseball championships and been collecting money each time you win and over time i've been collecting synths and drum machines and electronic music equipment to kind of like do amateur producing and uh yeah so i had everything i needed um and i i had this like kind of launch pad push controller um which i mapped to mirror what two turntables and decks can do and so I'm able to control, uh, you know, software, digital software tractor with this, with this launch pad, with the 64 key launch pad. And then I bought a, I bought a four channel uh, mixer, um, the Zone K2, that I'm now able to control all my decks and mix in and out tracks. And so, yeah, we were just kind of like talking, talking about what we were going to do. And these guys encouraged me to do this. So I bought this mixer and I started watching some YouTube videos and a week after I had it, I uh, I put it an hour set out there where like some of the loops were mine, some of the songs were, you know, I got off Beatport and everything. And uh, I sent it to five friends. And by the end of the hour, I had like 20 people on the channel. So Twitch like sends people your way when people are watching. Okay, so Twitch, just real quick. Yeah. What is Twitch? Twitch is a platform like YouTube. It's a live platform, mostly for gaming. And uh, it's also for chatting. It's for you know, okay. basically anything that you're filming yourself to do Got that it. other people would watch. I mean, some people literally get on there and they have this conversation and it's like just chatting. Really? Um, but the, okay. the, the thing about it uh, is that they have less stringent copyright rules than, uh, than say, YouTube or, or Facebook Live does. And so it's big for DJs because especially like I'm not producing a ton of songs. And so I'm right. going to be playing, you know, 30 tracks in three hours from 25 different DJs, right? Like I might have the same guy repeating, but if, 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 especially also if I'm like going to sample in something um, right. that's, that's more mainstream, the mainstream like YouTube will sometimes mute you during your stream. Twitch won't do that. And so it's attracted DJs to kind of that platform. You know, cause the rule is I can play like on my podcast, we could play, pick somebody, Van Halen, right now if we wanted, so long as we're not using it for commercial purposes. Right. We're allowed to do that. If Apple Podcast hears a Van Halen song, they just kill it. They say, no, the podcast can't come up. Yep. I go back and I say, but I'm paying for the studio and Colin and Jake don't pay me shit. And it uh, doesn't matter. Yeah, so, sure. yeah. What's your Twitter on or your Twitter handle? Uh, it's at Street Bomber. At Street Bomber. Because a lot of times, EFT knows this, other folks don't. Kenny Lay does roll call right. on Friday night where he does a cool video. We all send in pictures of what we're drinking. That's the major wine flex that, that I do. But a lot of times you're doing sets after that. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. So, kind of started small took off a little bit, took, got some practice. And after a while was like, all right, this is, this is ready for roll call. And, uh, 
or this over this summer. I mean, again, everything's closed and uh, started just posting my, my Twitch channel out there and, and folks would show up and, uh, you know, the chat room was livelier than Twitter because it's private and, uh, you know, everybody's having a big time in there and I'll go play for three, four hours every every Friday night. And um, so Charlie Yates, oldest, well, oldest and only son, 18 years old, been a music kid his whole life. I mean, I took him to see Van Halen when he was 10 years old in New Orleans. It was great. We were sitting on the front row. He has on his headphones, and he has no idea who Van Halen is, no idea what type of music they play, but he knows he's in New Orleans with Dad. Oh, yeah. So that's cool, right? So, boom, Van Halen comes out. Eddie kicks into a guitar solo. Three minutes in, he leans over. Hey, Dad. That guitar player's really good. <laughs> That's why we're here, pal. But I set that up as a backdrop. One, yeah. a lot of listeners have heard me rave about Charlie's music. It's good stuff. His uh, his band's called Drab Av. But I text uh, Charlie your your show, the first one I ever listened to that you're DJing. And uh, Charlie uh, texts back, Dad, this is actually cool, not like what you normally text me. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Highest praise. That's that's the highest praise. I think I saw something right after that that uh, he found out I worked in oil and gas and wasn't as happy anymore. So that's true. My (laughs) my son has lived the greatest life on the planet. I mean, he has spent a summer in Cuba. He spent a summer in the Galapagos Islands. He spent a summer in Barcelona taking Spanish and all funded by oil and gas. Right. Yeah. Left to his own devices, he'd be leading the protest right now to shut down Keystone Pipe if Biden hadn't done it. So, I mean, it's, like, my, it's funny because my mom will say, oh, my God, I'm so worried. He's a communist and all that. And I go, it, it'll end, Mom. And she goes, how do you know? And I go, as soon as I cut out the money, they're That's rarely right. communist after they don't get free money. <laughs> yeah. The more taxes he has to pay, the less communist he'll be. So we've got Bomber, Denver dude. Midstream dude, mid thirties. Um, so that kind of who Bomber is. Let's jump into the midstream. Yeah, let's do um, it. Why don't we start with your meetings? What are you hearing this week? What do investors think? And then I'm going to lay down the grand global theory of midstream by Chuck Yates, and you can throw up on it in a little bit. But what are you hearing? Yeah, what's out there? You know, it's it's really funny. Um, this initiative ha- has really been going on. Um, we've been having these conversations for for over a year, um, kind of starting back to the beginning of of COVID times. And at the beginning of COVID, you know, the thought was Chuck that like, hey, there's a lot of midstream companies out there that are over levered. There's a lot of midstream companies out there that are wanting to be focused on logistics, aren't as interested in gathering and processing anymore. Right. Um, they got a lot of non core assets. They're going to want to sell those non core assets. A lot of midstream companies that had looming debt maturities coming up. So the idea was let's go find a unique system that's being underutilized um, or mismanaged or just not wanted. They don't want to even spend the, the, the maintenance capex on there, right? Or the opex anymore. And let's go try and pry it out of someone's hands and go build a business off of it. Right. Um, you know, and then a couple of things have happened. We started trying to look at things like that and, and just the market kind of changed a little bit over over the course of time. You know, when, when COVID hit, 
you saw a lot of, especially like the mid-sized banks. I'm just going to use Amogee Bank as like an example, right? Like right. you're not not your city, but you know, you kind of your mid-sized bank. They've not only got oil and gas clients, you know, but they've got restaurants and they've got hotels and they've got movie theaters and they've got all this and you know, a lot of these debt maturities that were coming up got punted down the road because they had guys that are really in trouble. Right. So if they were servicing their debt and they were servicing their interest, there wasn't this real need to go and sell an asset. And so it kind of extended the time a little bit. And then by October, November of 2020, um, you really saw a fundamental shift in the marketplace. And uh, you know, a lot of the midstreamers had, um, you know, they had announced uh, they they had announced capex reductions for the following year um, that they were going to be, you know, free cash flow positive, and that their balance sheet was going to be a little bit healthier. And, and you saw this melt up in uh, in 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 assets in midstream assets, uh, or, or excuse me, in midstream companies where. MLPs appreciated between, you know, Halloween and Christmas, like 30, 30% almost. Right. Um, and so all of a sudden these guys aren't incentivized to sell their assets anymore because their cash flow is trading at a higher multiple than the net asset value is on these assets. Because these assets, if you look at the volumes, if you look at the contracts, you know, they're only worth four or five times either, sure. you know, but yet their stock's now trading at nine and a half times. And so if you can't get there, um, which you you should never be able to get there, especially the way that you know, right. equity's priced right now. <laughs> right. Uh, th then there's just nothing to get done. So you know they're paralyzed by what's happening. Um, private equity is not able to go get anything done. So you've kind of had this like weird impasse, and it's been funny to see. I mean, you know, you've kind of seen the upstream M and A cycle pick back up a little bit. Um, and I say by a little bit, I mean it's it's been fairly active since Thanksgiving, right? Um, and you just keep waiting for midstream, but you know, I just don't see a lot really happening, um, as far as an acquisition first for a new company. You know, I think that again, you start looking at what's possible. We can dive as deep into this as you want to. Um, but I think when you, when you look at private equity, a lot of the private equity backed midstream companies have more money invested into their systems than the, than the company's worth right now. And so when you're looking at trying to do deals with other private equity backed midstream companies as a private equity backed midstream company, it's hard to get to a um, to get a deal done, because if you're outside, say, five or seven percent on your valuations, you know, both teams are walking. So insider ball here that I think most people know, but let's just go ahead and say it. Um, we all know why that is, right? I mean, the second you sell an asset, you stop charging management fees That's correct. on that capital when you send it back. And so you're sitting there going, do I really want to give up one, one and a half percent a year on that vis-a-vis -vis what could it be worth in two years? That's you right. Know? Yeah. And you can talk yourself into it. I'm not, I mean, what I just sound said sounded like I was being malicious, nefarious. You can talk yourself into, well, for my investors to be whole, Two years from now, the value only has to go up three percent, right. right? That's you know, right. Two years at one and a half, and that's pretty easy to talk yourself into. Yeah, and I think on top of that, you know, you just you want to start thinking about how incentives work across the line. You know, the management teams aren't incentivized to get something done too because they're sitting here saying, "Well, shit, if I can just survive two more years, then this thing might put me back in 
in the money again, why would I want to merge this company into another one? So you go and load up your, your, your sim with all kinds of assumptions that are unrealistic on production that's coming. And, you know, by the time you sort it through all the BS, it's just really, it's really hard to make something happen on, on that end. And, you know, it's unfortunate because what you had was this like massive build out between call it 2010 and 2019, where all this capacity is built out and all these plants and private equity companies. So you got management teams burning GNA, you've got plants that are running at 60, 70%. And you've just got this, you've got this issue where, you know, if you can get two teams to merge together and you can incentivize the management teams and even the PE shops, that that's what they should be doing. It would help so much because if you think about it, and I know that there's some some non-oil and gas people that that listen, but you know, the, the, if you just think about uh, midstream systems and plants in general, there's there's a handful of buckets in the sizes of the plants, and the big popular ones now are like 60 million a day plant, 60 million cubic feet of gas um, that runs through a day, or a 200 million a day plant, and you know, a 200 million a day plants opex is significant 60 million a day's opex is almost 10 million dollars a year you know 200 million a day call it 15 million dollars a year and if you've got three of those plants that are all running at 60 percent managed by different teams and you can go fill one plant up entirely then you're able to pull you know 10 20 million dollars a year off of the books and if you right. can also get rid of the management teams ideally an all equity deal should be helping everybody but it's just not getting done right now. So second problem. So you've got one problem in that you don't want to take cash because you want to keep charging management fees if you're the private equity f folks. The other big one, just from the inside, um, you also want to be able to control how you value that thing, right? right? Because this is being horribly cynical, and I wouldn't dare suggest any private equity person would do this, but generally speaking, later in life in private equity funds, you charge management fees based on the lower of dollars invested or fair market value. And given the shit that's gone down in our industry, a lot of folks are having to charge on fair market value as opposed to dollars invested. And so you want to be able to control that. So to the extent there was going to be some big consolidation of the private equity entities to do all that cost cutting, one, you got to make sure cash doesn't go out the door, and two, you have to solve the valuation issues so that this private equity firm can value it how they want, this private equity firm can value it how they want. This gets too complicated, but it does solve the thing. I always thought if I was going to go be the consolidator, I would cre create multiple classes of securities. Private equity firm A, you get class one, two, three. Private equity firm B, you get class one, two, four. They can value whatever they want. You can put enough in the way of governance stuff in there that's different so that people truly could put different values on the different things. Maybe there's some overriding thing that at the end, when you actually sell it, you know, it all becomes common. Right. But I think you almost have to go through the mental masturbation to do that so that folks can value it how they want to, and two, they don't cash it out. And then your third point is a good one about the management teams, because everybody thinks their management team is better than the other one. That's, that's right.
and so it, it's just it's really it's hard to get anything moving and then you know if, if you think about what was happening before um, you had a lot of teams that were being stood up uh, with with acreage dedications and greenfield projects and uh, the activity is just not there to support it and again the way that the the equity and and the the deals are structured with the hurdles and the waterfalls and there's just you need an you need an exit plan and, and there's no way to go right now and and really develop a greenfield only business plan right you've got to have acquisitions as part of it there's spare capacity out there uh, there's underutilized assets all over the place and so you got to figure out if you are going to go in and i think this is how new teams are going to have to really play it is you need a, a small piece of pipe in the ground and a little foothold and then you need to start making strategic acquisitions from there um, and i think you also need to really look at levering um, you know the marketing business and looking at secondary markets and tertiary markets and figuring out ways to to squeeze pennies out of all of these assets and, and then increase producer netbacks to get more volume through these underutilized assets and you know, it's all going to be driven through efficient markets. Um, I, I really, I really do believe that. You know, if you can find a value proposition, if you can get a better market, if you can find an asset in an underserved, say, propane market, and you can go buy a gas plant and then add a depropanizer, and then now you've got a local propane market to to serve, then you know that's a way to add additional value. You know, there's some unique things. You know, we we talk about you know private equity, and we talk about you know, new technology and, and, and things like that and really maximizing revenue. You know, one of the interesting things about the midstream business, I feel like, is the way a lot of the contracts are structured, you pass back your electricity cost to your producers. And so, you know, one of the one of the things that I worked on before is, and this just kind of got killed because of COVID, um, we were looking at building a, a solar PV uh, station, you know, five megawatts or so, uh, next to the gas plant uh, and then tying it in and putting a turbine on the back of the gas plant and ripping off residue gas to support the additional five megawatts of power. And um, we are going to have a, a power island, a, a microgrid distributed generation that was going to cost, you know, call it three cents a kilowatt hour to get all this stuff done. And the power utility was charging you five and a half cents a kilowatt hour. Well, you'd be able to pass back those costs of five and a half cents a kilowatt hour to the producer. Right. And you were only paying three cents. So you were essentially pocketing two and a half cents a kilowatt hour. And this is all something that you could do internally. Right. You, you paid for the gas that you were ripping off yourself and uh, settled the producers out appropriately. But, you know, there's just different ways to extract value and to drive down your OPEX costs. And that is going to be where a lot of this has to go. You have to get all of these plants to be filled up. You have to get them to be running efficiently. And you kind of need scale to do that. And so where I'm trying to make my point here is that if you go and you do get your foot in the ground with, the, with a greenfield job, you're going to have to have enough money behind you to go grow it at a scale where you're ideally shutting down the most inefficient assets bringing all of the volumes to the highest net back facility that runs the most efficiently, and then try and squeeze the additional value out on every single line item that you can in order to make something work. Otherwise, you're not gonna be able to, to sell the company and, and, and have your incentive shares worth anything. And so, so 
we did a major uh, wine flux, unfortunately, which leads me down the path of rabbit holes. So here we go, but we will edit. Sitting here thinking about, you know, all these assets around and we need to consolidate them and we need money to pay everybody out and nobody wants to take money and there are issues on why that. Could you contractually create the conglomerate, for lack of a better word? Could you contractually say you will get paid X dollar a year? If you want to run the plant or not, that's up to you. You will get paid Y dollars a year. You want to run the plant, that's up to you. So literally you don't own that asset, but uh, Bomber Co., for lack of a better description, has a contract with each one of these entities where in effect you force the efficiencies on the area by just providing a cash flow stream. Yeah, I I think that that's I think that that would be an incredibly creative way to do it. It's almost set up like a electric co-op, you know, where you've got a, right. midst, a midstream co-op, but you've got to get everyone to buy in. And I think that what you need to be solving for is, you know, you've got gathering and processing, so that's everything that goes and connects to the wellhead and it brings the volumes of gas or, you know, we're just going to talk about gas, but we won't talk about crude and water right now. But on the gas side, right? Um, you know, you're going to the wellhead, you're bringing the gas into a plant and you're separating out the NGLs and then you're separating out the residue gas. Essentially, I'm just trying to dumb it down. Sure. And, and you're selling those two streams, right? I think that ideally, you know, you, you look at a basin and you say, all right, in this basin, we've got three NGL natural gas liquids takeaways. In my mind, there should probably be three gathering and processing companies in that basin. That seems efficient to me, right? Like everything within a certain area should be aggregating those volumes and servicing that NGL line. Yep. Um, where right now you might have nine companies you know, servicing three NGL lines. And so instead of being aligned with the, the NGL takeaway with that pipeline logistics company saying, listen, you give me the best rate you can, because if you give me the best rate you can, I'll be able to get more volumes in here. You're having, instead of a win-win deal with them, you are, you know, you're, you're, you're arguing against them and you're negotiating on the best possible rates. And I, I feel like if you can get the number of teams down similarly in a manner of what you're talking about um to be aligned with the amount of takeaway then you're gonna create a efficient basin if you will um, so in the screwed up mind that is chuck it go ahead i'm just gonna say if we're going too far down a rabbit hole here you stop me so yeah we're yeah we're down there there's peter rabbit okay good <laughs> no so further down the rabbit hole in the the, the crazy mind that is me and and you know the one nice thing about not having a job is I just get to sit around and think of all this really stupid stuff and uh, so I have a theory and this is EMP theory but we're gonna bring it back to to midstream and what you're talking about I think consolidation needs to happen in EMP clearly right mm -hmm. for all the reasons you listed in midstream and probably more that's why it's not happening as much as it should in EMP. And, you know, you've got like the Kimridge guys out there buying some stock and, you know, trying yeah. to rabble rouse and, and sure, change boards sure. out and do all that. What I have thought is if I'm a private equity fund and I've got 
a let's just choose the mid I'm trying to choose a basin that Kane doesn't have anything in just so I can't be accused of it. Let's let's uh let's go to California because okay. Kane doesn't have anything yep. in California. You're a private equity fund, you've got a big asset in um California and you want to go do some consolidation and you talk to CRC and they're like, nah, we don't want to do anything. I had this idea. Why don't you, as the private equity firm, and you have this asset, why don't you just go short a bunch of public company stock, right? Yeah. Because to some degree, the worst thing you did was you just sold your asset right now because they're very similar type assets. And so the worst thing you did is you shorted that. And if everything runs away, your short will get hammered. But theoretically, your asset should be worth a lot. So you go short the company, and I won't say a public company name, I'll just say Company X. You sure. sh- then you walk into public company X and you say, I'm short 35% of your stock. Why don't you cut me shares for 35% so I can go cover my short and we throw all the assets in one basket. It's the bear hug, right? Yeah. And this, for all I know, this is illegal. I mean, the lawyers at uh, Digital Wildcatters are probably going, cut this, <laughs> cut this. If there is a lawyer at Digital Wildcatters. <laughs> but no, and so so, so what, where I was going with this is that's my bear hug idea. And I, if, if I had any reason to actually do it or think about it, I'd go spend more time. But it was just a thought I had. Could you go bear hug to those nine companies three takeaways with a contract, you walk in and literally say, I will pay you X, but you let me direct what your private company does. And 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 there's they're they're faced with a decision of I'm gonna get X cash flow a month, no matter what. Does that bear hug them? Does that make them go, well, all these issues I talked about and the reason I don't want to sell for cash and do it, but I'm gonna get cash flow stream particularly the ones you want to take offline, does that say, okay, we'll take that stream, boom, done. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's a great idea. All right. Uh, Value added here on Chuck <laughs> Yates Needs a Job, Bomber. There you go. There you go. Speak well of me at my funeral. That's all I want. <laughs> you already had that. So um, no, that's, 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 I, like, I, I would like to know how you got to that place in your head. Uh, oh, that's a scary place. <laughs> you know, you know. No, but uh, I actually... I, you know, it's interesting. So losing my job and sitting around um, my whole life, I've always just liked to think. And uh, one of the things I did kind of post losing my job, you get the blank sheet of paper, right? And you write things down. And in fact, a mutual friend of ours, I won't name him, but he said, as you write things on the blank sheet of paper, text them to me because in six months or a year, when you tell me what you're going to do, I'm going to go back through all your text and I'm going to see, was it an evolution? Is this consistent? Mm-hmm. Hey, Chuck, back in July, you said this versus that. And uh, literally number one on the list of the blank sheet of papers, I never want to manage another person in my life. And I, cause I'm really, really shitty at it. I'm sure. not the guy that should be managing people, but I like to think so. That was the harebrained idea. So go go make that work. I, I love it. So I mean, you know, we just want to talk about thought processes and things like that. That's that's a big one for me. I mean, when you and I talked about coming on the show and things that we were going to talk about, 
I like to, I can't, I don't think linearly either. I, I kind of think with an idea and then it'll kind of get narrowed down and get narrowed down. But my favorite thing to go do is go essentially meditate. Right. And I do that mostly through like endurance activities. Um, and so I'll go take a long run or a bike ride or a ski or something like that. God, I'm big into backcountry skiing. And so I'll go work really hard. And, you know, at some point during that time when my mind is just as far away from my body as possible, not to think about the suffering, <laughs> uh, a thought will pop into my head and I'll usually pull over and I'll type in my notepad, you know, what the idea is and I'll kind of like let it fester a little bit and kind of build on it. So I understand when you've got the time to sit around how those things pop in your head. Uh, in between bonbons watching Oprah. In, in between bonbons <laughs> watching Oprah. That, that, that's my endurance training here. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's funny. I mean, and then, you know, for the people that follow me on, uh, on EFT, my kind of, I guess I would say my like shtick is I'm one of the meme, the meme teams. Right. And um, you're one of the good meme teams. Thank I mean, you. You're really good at it. Uh, so for those of you that, 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 are kind of new to EFT. Um, I'm going to give some shout outs to at Frack Slap, who's Colin McClelland. Um, you know, he is he is part of the meme team. There is a at Shaleco underscore energy. Uh, he is kind of the OG OG of some of the better memes. Uh, one of my good personal friends um, is Rick underscore Armadillo. Rick Armadillo. Uh-huh. He makes some really good ones. And so these guys essentially are putting out uh, videos, like movie clips that are about two two minutes long. So Twitter lets you put two minutes and 20 seconds out there um, before they cut you off. And so everyone does a little bit differently, but essentially you download a, the, the clip that you want, put it in your phone and you start editing through it. And one day I was playing golf, I was playing golf, I'd call it uh, July or maybe early August with, uh, at Rick underscore Armadillo. And, uh, you know, I'm like, dude, how in the world are you doing these memes? Right. And he's like, oh, let me show you. So we get to the 19th hole and he's like, all right, so you, you know, you do this, you take the video clip you want, you drop it into here, you download it to your hard drive, you email it to yourself, you pull it in, you use this app called Video Shop that allows you to throw texts over the, uh, the video and control how long the text shows up for. So if we're having a scene and like I say something, then I can throw like, you, we're, it's a, just a regular movie dialogue, right? I change the words of what is being said and you recreate the dialogue to an iconic movie clip or right. you know, a cartoon or, 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 or an office, you know, like the office uh, show, right? right. Like it's yeah, just like exactly. things like that. And, and by the end, you've got this whole other story set to, you know, something that you recognize. And, and that's kind of the video memes. And so it's been funny since I've learned how to do it. I've kind of taken the same approach, right? Like, you know, if I'm like running or doing something where I've, I'm, I don't have my mind fully connected to my body, I'll have like an idea pop in my head and I'll write it down and then I'll go back home and I'll download it. And I'll go through this whole process of, you know, kind of doing it. And it just it, it literally pops out of nowhere. Like if you told me that I needed to go make you a meme right now, it would suck, yeah. you know? But like, if I'm just out doing my thing, all of a sudden it's gonna smack me in, in the side of the face from left field. I'm gonna be like, oh my God, this is what I gotta do. 
And now, your uh, stuff is great. And for anybody uh, on Energy Finance Twitter, I'm sure you're following Bomber anyway. If you're not, go follow Bomber. The memes are great. Folks that aren't on Energy Finance Twitter, get on there to read the memes. Yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I set up a separate because uh, I do. I probably tweet too much. When I say probably, I definitely tweet too much. So I I I started losing where all these memes were, and so I set up a. I'm not on social media at all, and so I set up an Instagram page, uh, Blake Street Bomber. Is what oh, it did is. you really? Yeah. <laughs> and so I've gone back, and I think I've got like 34 video memes or something like that. And so they're all now aggregated onto my Instagram page. So if you want to go look at all these two minute videos, uh, they're all saved there. And you know, Chuck asked, uh, hey, I'm having, having Bomber on the pod. Uh, what are some questions, right? And Energy Cynic, who's, um, he's in my top three favorite follows and right. uh, love the guy. You know, he's like, ask him what his favorite meme was. And, and this was my pin tweet for a while. Um, I, I, you know, I, I hate that it's not directly oil and gas related, but um, when Tesla was at its top in August, and this was at the top that this video came out, it was right when everything got crazy. They had announced the five to one split. You know, it was just soaring through the verge roof. of S and P five hundred, all that, yeah. everything. Right? It was like it was. I think it was August thirty first. I pulled the kind of classic, um, the Bishop's last round clip from Caddyshack. And if you haven't seen Caddyshack, the Bishop decides to go play golf and he grabs um, Bill Murray as his caddy. Bill Murray's a groundskeeper in Caddyshack. Right. And they go out and start playing. It's nice weather. And then they wind up playing through the most vicious thunderstorm ever. And Bishop is having the round of his life and all everything's going in and all the things are going right for the Bishop. Right. And I've got this thing arcing with. Oh, and it's awesome. It's like it's like raining and blowing and he hits a putt that goes 15 feet beyond the hole. But the wind blows it back. That's right. That's right. It's just crazy. And and everything's working out in his his favor. And you got all the people storming off. Right. So like I've got this whole thing arcing in the direction. And, And and at the very end of this thing, um, the bishop's got one hole left. And he's getting ready to finish, and he wants to hit his putt, and he hits his putt, and he misses it, and lightning strikes him dead. (laughs) And so my whole thing was that Tesla, I mean, at the time, I went back and looked at this before this pod because he asked a question. Tesla's price-to-earnings ratio is like 1050. It's 1603 right now. Hold on. Hold on. It wasn't 1050. It was 1050. Yes. (laughs) Let's be clear. 1050, yes. Um, one yes, not ten point five, one thousand fifty, and like its market cap was bigger than Visa and all this shit. And I'm like, this is it, right? Like this, this feels like the top, and it ended up being the top for about three weeks, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then it ripped, you know, and it's ripped and ripped and ripped. But the the idea was that like you know the bishop got struck dead, and he you know like when 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 he missed that putt, that was it for him, right? And at some point or another, I, my last my last uh, kind of comment on there was that. When he got struck, it said fundamentals do matter. You know, like, <laughs> there's a company that's not cash flowing, that's selling cars that are, you know. Well, you sent that to me before you posted it. Yeah. And I was sitting there drinking coffee and I'm watching it and I snorted coffee out my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was hysteric. That, 
you know, cool thing about EFT, and that you know, a lot of lot of reasons to not like EFT. I get it. Yeah. You know, snarky, hide behind a nons. No offense. You know, present company, but uh, all that. But man, the humor levels. Yeah. I mean, if we could harness the intelligence used to make memes and all that and applied it to the Middle East peace process, there would be peace in the Middle East. It's amazing. Amen. And I'll tell you, like, I mean, so I named these meme accounts. I'm probably the most guilty of this, <laughs> uh, but I feel like kind of the meme, the memesters on there, Armalite Andy is the night crew meme guy. He's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, he's really uh, good. And then, of course, the Enron chairman, who's the king, right? Right. But, um, oh, by the way, uh, I did a presentation for Hearts yesterday that'll come out. By the time this comes out, I think the Hearts Conference will already have shown my video. I gave a shout out to the chairman at the end of it. Awesome. Well, I feel bad for leaving him off early. He's like at this whole other level because of roll call and all this other stuff that I don't like. He's kind of just the champion. But, uh, you know, these guys, I feel like these meme accounts. And this is why I kind of alluded to earlier. Like, if you really want to find out who I am, you can, because we're not there to really talk shit. I mean, like what we're posting is more narratives of what's happening and the problems of the industry. I'm there to make people laugh. Yeah. And that's my sole goal. And what I was gonna say is I'm most guilty of probably going down the rabbit hole. I'll sometimes post political stuff on there (laughs) and I'll look down and I'll be like, I lost 15 followers over that. (laughs) And, And I'm just trying to call out hypocrisy and bullshit, but people, oftentimes we'll take it the wrong way yeah. because I'm not ripping on Donald Trump and I'm not ripping on Joe Biden. I'm ripping on hip- hypocritical Donald Trump and hypocritical Joe Biden and hypocritical anybody that's a hypocrite. And that's what EFT is all about, right? We're ripping on hypocritical shale co's, hypocritical PE companies, people that are saying one thing and doing another. And you know, when you say it gets a bad name, yeah, it gets a bad name, but also it, it's creating it's creating awareness. And if you're the management team of one of these companies and you get memed by Blake Street Bomber, your employees are probably gonna see it, you and, know? And and I will defend EFT, and I did a couple of episodes back. Yeah, it's it's can be mean-spirited at time and all, but generally speaking, it has a good heart. I mean, because uh, when I got, you know, let go in the firestorm we had for 48, 72 hours, everybody making fun of me. I think I was voted most likely to wind up in a bathtub full of ice without a kidney. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Energy Cynic. Cynic's, Cynic's other uh, really good one was, in honor of Chuck Yates today, I'm going to get really drunk, stumble around the house in my ripped jeans. <laughs> so, Cynic's funny. I'll, I will give he or she credit uh, for that. But um, anyway, I can't tell you how many times when somebody makes a joke about me almost simultaneously, I'm getting a DM, hey, did I go too far? And I'm always like, no, nah, that was funny. Don't worry about it. And it, it's a lot of, did I go too far? I'm happy to take it down. Yeah. So it's got a good heart. You know, and I will say, you know, there's a handful of accounts that are not afraid to call out the biggest offenders personally. I'm not in a position in my career or financially <laughs> where I'm going to go rip some CEO apart. But the guys that are doing it are anonymous. They're anonymous for a reason. They're making valid points. Right. Um, and you gotta, and I think they're true believers. And they're true believers. They're not, they're not doing it just to get followers. No, they're not. And you see these Bloomberg articles and you see these other things come out and they're like EFT, the, you know, the, the 
energy shorts. I'm like, dude, I don't fucking trade stocks. You know, like right. I've got several ETFs and like I do my thing, but I'm not like, I'm not a day trader. I'm not shorting these companies to advance my personal or political goals. So I don't have any vested interest in saying anything bad about anyone directly. You know, again, like it'll be, it'll be Trevor Nicola, Elon Musk, uh, guys that aren't really real that usually get my right. wrath, Chamath. Yeah. Like, the 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 electric vehicle mafia is not coming to Denver to chase you down. They're not. They don't care about me. They could squish me pretty quickly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm actually probably trying actively now at this point to get uh, blocked by Chamath because of all the the stuff with the spacs that he's doing. I, I just I, I well, think well, you know, that in the Comanche Indian tribe, uh, historically, the measure of a warrior was based on the measure of his enemy. So. You know, if you get blocked by Chama, you get blocked by Elon, dude, you're a big fucking dick. That's awesome. It, there I mean, you go. That would be my, like, you know, that would be my biggest. I got, I got blocked by Ross Gerberkowski. Uh, I don't think that's anything to be. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's pretty sensitive. You make fun of Tesla and he's getting blocked. You, he's blocking you. But I was uh, blocked by Colin for six hours because of the short jokes. <laughs> that's what You I probably deserve that. So what's in the name? I mean, what's, what's, what's Bomber... Blake Street Bomber. Yeah, so um, so this is kind of funny. I mean, I, I kind of talked about fantasy baseball and a- acquiring all this um, this electronic music equipment earlier. Um, Blake Street Bomber is kind of paid homage to the uh, the early '90s, mid '90s Colorado Rockies power hitting group. Uh, it was Larry Walker. It was Dante Bichette. Okay. It was Andres Galarraga. Yep. And it was uh my mind's about to go blank. Vinny Castilla? Vinny Castilla, thank you. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's my he's my avatar on uh, roll call. Oh, there you go. Which is why my mind went blank because it's the most obvious one for me. <laughs> I love any. I love any. Hey, we're major uh, wine flexing. <laughs> um and so I'll be honest with you, I mean, so uh Denver guy, Denver whatever, um operating, that's kind of where I've spent my career in the in, in the energy business. Um this was around the time I got really curious because I was I was hearing some rumorings and some rumblings. I'm not going to get too far into it because then I'll definitely explain who I am. But hearing some rumblings about um, you know things that were going on at Whiting back in the fall, right? Okay, like, kind of know what's happening there. Um, know that they're not in a good spot. And someone had told me, hey, have you seen that uh, BRV and Oil Ghanif and, and uh, your guy who was just on the, on the pod, Energy Credit One, right. uh, they're going to be publishing a short report on Whiting. And I was like, hmm, interesting. So, and again, like I said it earlier, I, I, I was not social media at all. I did not have a Twitter. I, did not, I do not have an Instagram minus BSB. Don't have Facebook, all that stuff. Um, and... So I, I bookmarked BRV and Energy Credit One and Oil Ghanif on my homepage on my internet. So whenever I, whenever I, you know, right. get to work in the morning, I click on their stuff and I'd see what was being said, and I was starting to follow them and all this stuff. And so that's probably happened around September of two thousand and nineteen. Okay. Um, yep. And so I follow these guys, and like this is typical, right? There's lurkers all out there. There's lurkers going to be listening to this podcast and. Great, I encourage you guys to get in the fray. Yeah. Uh, so I spent you know, a period of time, and then on Halloween of 2019, they published a short report. And it was actually beneficial for something that I was working on at the time. 
Ah. And I was like, okay, this confirms, right? This is, they're gonna go to zero if this is true. Um, and a lot of their assumptions is, you know, I mean, they did the research, they did the reservoir analysis, they did the inventory assumptions, they looked at different price decks and really figured out, hey, they aren't gonna be able to survive this storm. I mean, let's go back to episode three of Chuck Needs a Job podcast when I did five questions and I asked them uh, engineering questions. They got it right. They did. And uh, it was what was so funny about that is I didn't understand the question. I called, <laughs> I called Mike Hines, you know, Mike Hines, who was my uh, co-managing partner at Hines. And I will say this, Mike Hines is the best reservoir engineer that's ever been on the planet. Really good dude. And I called him, I go, I got these engineers coming on. Give me a question. He's like, you know, gives me the question. He said, nobody ever remembers that. Don't worry. They won't get this. You'll embarrass them. I had to call him the next day. Dude, you screwed me. Yeah. <laughs> they nailed it. <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, they're fucking geeks. <laughs> <laughs> that may be true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, let's fast forward after Halloween five months or so. And um, whiting that day. Their stock, this is right after OPEC, uh, announces, you know, they're going to flood the market. Right. Whiting stock dives like 40% in the day. Yeah. And they announce that they're going to be laying off like 30% of their staff. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, I was in a position, I don't know how this happened, but maybe I just had a bad day and need to blow off steam. But I was like, F it, I'm out of here for a little bit. I'm going to go work out. And I walked down the down the street a couple blocks, um, went to the Denver Athletic Club, going to get my CrossFit workout. So you can you can rib me for all of that. I, I get it. You know, everyone hates CrossFit. I'm not not the guy sitting on the couch eating bonbons watching Oprah. <laughs> you know what? We can edit this part out uh, or not. I mean, you can just make fun of me. That's fine. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to this class. It's four fifteen, right? Like I probably shouldn't be in there in the first place. Brad Holly is playing no racquetball at 4.15 on the day that his stock has just cratered and they've announced that they're laying off people. Ooh. And so I said, this is not right. Right. And so I created Blake Street Bomber, first thing that came to my mind because of the Rockies and I needed something anonymous to do this. Yeah. And I DM'd Energy Credit One and I said, this is happening right now. It needs to be brought to everyone's attention. Wow. And that is the only time that I have ever called anybody out directly in the oil and gas business and the only time that I will because it's something that happened. And not 20 minutes later, there was a 25 or 30 memes out there and the news had spread. And like it was, I mean, that that's unacceptable in my mind. When you are the leader of an organization and you aren't going to do the old-fashioned captain's thing and go down with the ship, right? Like, yeah. You're gonna bounce out of work to go play in a fucking Joker right. volleyball right. league, or not volleyball, but racquetball league. Same yeah. difference, right? Who cares, right? Like, it doesn't matter. There's not yeah. even a trophy. Um, on the day that your stock's cratering and people are losing their jobs left and right, you need someone to tell you that this is not acceptable. Yeah. And I don't know him well enough to go say, "Hey, man, you should probably be back in the office right now." Yeah. Um, and so that is that was the genesis of BSB, and so. Fast forward now another week, right? And everything's locked down and I still had this account and I was maybe following like 12 people and I had zero followers. You know, I think OFB was the first person to follow me, Oilfield Bro. So thank you very much. Shout out. 
um, so Oilfield Bro is like the, my first follower. I, I know that for sure. It took Energy Credit One uh, about nine months to follow me back. So, <laughs> I was like, dude, I gave you the Brad Holly information. Oh, Come I skipped on. you. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so, you know, I didn't know what to make of it at first, right, Chuck? And so I was just kind of on there. I was commenting like I thought I thought what honestly got you follows early on was like good information. So I was like publishing like midstream threads, and <laughs> thoughts on the market and hey, this is DJ differentials versus powder differentials and this is what it's going to take on Rick Kelly right. to do this. I'm like <laughs> nobody looked at that shit. You know? <laughs> nobody followed me. Uh it took it took me making to do it. Um but uh you know, it I started to realize, you know, we aren't going back to work anytime soon. And yeah. you can make meaningful connections on there. And I don't know the number, because I'm not on here to dox people, right? But I'm I'm on here to make real connections. I mean, I've probably gotten together, let's say for golf, with seven people from EFT yeah. that I didn't know before. And been whether it's in, like just so like add the next bucket to less time spent but real time like lunch or dinner or happy hour with 20 people yeah um and then exchange numbers with another probably 20 people and the craziest part about it chuck is like as i've been trying to go out and and, and do something on my own it has been this network that you're it's surprising who all's behind these Anon accounts and who all yeah. is just willing in very good positions to help, willing to help and willing to help open doors, willing to help you with reservoir inventory analysis for free, like right. stuff that we need on the midstream side to go value stuff. There's people that are doing it left and right. And it's because of these relationships that I've been able to build and We've made right. I mean, a, yeah, that's why you and I are here. Yeah, I mean, exactly. we met online. We met we online, on EFT. right? And I'm not scared to say it, right? I mean, um, by the way, and the first time we talked, it was about Cottonwood Venture Partners and and you moving over and trying to like make sure that you know it was it was a legitimate like, hey, I worked in the tech side of this industry for a period of time. Is there anyone that I can introduce you to? Yeah, right? no, you were very cool in and, the uh, in the reach out. The the thing I love, and we can edit this out if you don't want it said, but it's all good. So, so we had that phone call. We talked for about an hour because I was walking around because uh, I decided uh, during COVID I'm going to take every conference call walking. You know that that would help. So I'm walking around with my and, and we talked for about an hour and we text. I made an introduction for you because you were you were looking to meet somebody someplace, and I had a friend there, so I made the introduction for you. What's so funny about all that is you come through Richmond heading to San Antonio. San Antonio. I don't yeah. think that's I don't think that's diamond you out. No. You know, so you're heading to San Antonio. We go eat lunch, and literally in the middle of lunch, I went, oh, yeah, you're bomber. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, what's so funny about that is I really do take this seriously. If somebody comes on here, wants to remain anonymous, I'm going to go to jail. In fact, that'd be cool until I get to jail. Then I'll then be a, it would be less cool. Then I'll be a wimp and I'll cry like a baby. But no, I really do take that, that, that seriously. And so a lot of times when people dox to me, 
I tell them I am going to know you as your real name, period, and I'm going to forget your Twitter name or vice versa. I'm going to know you as your Twitter name and I'm going to forget your real name. So just know that. And it was funny because you you got in there as as real name and I just totally forgot <laughs> you were bomber. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny and this whole community is willing to help. So it, it, it's been it's been really cool to get to kind of experience that during the pandemic. And it sounds cliche to say, but, you know, EFT was a big part about what helped me through COVID and lockdowns. And, you know, you guys are, you know, I'm sure the majority of these listeners are all in Texas, but I mean, shit, man, in Colorado, like it's still not back to normal. Restaurants are at 25%. Yeah. It's hard to get in front of people and I'm extroverted by nature. And so it was this outlet and to be able to make all these incredible connections and incredible friends and everything that's happened. I mean, you know, when people talk shit about EFT, I'm kind of like, well, you just don't know the good side of it yet, you know? Yeah. Um, because there is a there is a really good side and these people are caring. Um, they just don't want anyone to know who they are because a lot of people are putting themselves out there saying things that need to be said. Well, and I think you just gave us exhibit number one on why it's good to have a non-account. Because, I mean, quite frankly, Brad Holly needs to be called out on that. I don't know Brad. Well, I met him once um, and all. So I have no reason to have any animosity against him. And for all I know, it was he was playing with his college roommate that had cancer, and it was the last time they were ever going to play racquetball. So, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt and all. But, no, I mean, stuff like that really matters, and that's information we get because of a non-account. That's right. And I think that's important. I do think – there's a lot of responsibility that comes with an Anon account. But I think what's interesting is it becomes somewhat self-governing, the community, because when an Anon account gets out of line, then the community seems to beat it back in place. Like when Jen Evans and I, had, and she's not Anon, right? She's, she's out there on her own name. We had dinner in Dallas um, back in October, and I did the major wine flex, and the major wine flex was not what we were drinking, but that I was with Jen, yeah, right? right. You know, and I thought that was funny, and everybody kind of thought it was funny. And somebody got out of line, I think called her a giggly mid-level landman, which, by the way, we landman life, we need a I'm a giggly blonde <laughs> <laughs> mid-level landman. <laughs> we need the T-shirts. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, I mean, the community really – kind of let that guy have it because, yeah. you know, there's nothing wrong with Jen and I going and having dinner. And in fact, um, in fact, there were more people there than that. So it wasn't even anything that could be closely or even remotely untoward. Right. You know, so well, there's a self-governing or self-correction side to the community as well. There is. And you've seen some people, you know, in the time, in the short time that I've been there, I joined in March, 2020. Um, you know, you've seen some people that have left the platform because of some of that negativity. There was a guy, one of my favorite follows, and guy I interacted with both afterward in real life and, and on there was Incapped. Uh, okay. If you remember him, I don't know if you remember him or not. Yeah. But, um, you know, Incapped was hilarious, but he left because there was an anon account, and it was one of the it was the same anon account that called you out for the banker talking shit about you. You know, said something that was personal. And, uh, you know, he, he left the platform over it. And, 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 and that's one way to handle it. The other way to handle being called out when someone says something personal, I, I mean, I, I'm sure you know the, 
the tweet I'm talking about, but someone talked about ex-bankers and you just threw it right back in their face. Uh, this is probably a week ago <laughs> yeah. that we're talking about Chuck and, you know, whether this is true or not, like it doesn't need to be called out. And Chuck just basically murdered the guy online. <laughs> and, uh, it was pretty funny because the response was was apropos. It was, it was perfect. Um, but the rest of the community kind of banded around and was like, hey, that's that that comments out of bounds. Right. And so. You know, kudos to you for responding with a joke and, and, and making light of it. But, in, you know, some, people, some people leave over that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, and I, I totally get that. And, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, when you go to episode two of the podcast, me and the priest, uh, one of the things, a lot of therapy I've had, all that sort of stuff over the last five years, kind of the punchline is you got to live life curious as opposed to mad, you know, you get, you know, you get mad about something, something happens instead of yelling, taking action. It's like, all right, what's going on there? You know, what's that all about? Yeah. You know, and all that. So I don't think I'm out of line doing this. I kind of went curious. Me and the guy actually hugged it out in DMs. Did you? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Good I mean, it, it took it took 24, 48 hours. It took and I don't want to talk ill of the person because I quite frankly, I don't know who he is. Uh, he or she is, for that matter. But um, no, we kind of hugged it out. I kept just asking questions. Well, how do you know that? Well, here's actually this. How do you know that? You know. So we we did hug it out. But uh, but no, you're right. I mean, it's easy to in 140 characters to get a slam. I mean, you just kind of have to laugh at it. You got to roll with it. You, you do. Know? I haven't had any of those direct attacks yet. Again, I'm trying to keep it light. I've had some unfollows from people that I did like. Uh, from my political <laughs> stuff that I was putting out there, calling out nonsense around election time. But, you know, like, that's just part of the game, I suppose. So, Well, let's um, do this. In the spirit of, uh, of rolling with it and a little bit of humility, I'll throw this question at you. We used to do five questions on, on here. Instead, we talked music. And we'll get to your, uh, your playlist because I actually want to talk some about it. But, all right. Most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you in your professional career? Mm, this is a good one. So one of my first jobs out of school was working for an engineering procurement. Hold, hold, hold on real quick. Note to the audience, I didn't think he was actually going to answer this. So everybody, shh, just let him talk. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with this story. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Most embarrassing thing. Uh so yeah, so um, I was working for an engineering procurement construction company, EPC, as they would call it. And um, I'm like a young sales guy at this point, right? Like selling, okay. selling jobs. And we had sold a, a job to Holly Frontier at their El Dorado, Kansas refinery, which is about 45 minutes outside Wichita. I was living in Dallas. And um, it was like a $25 million turnkey job on a naphtha splitter tower so basically to help make gasoline okay and um it's my first job i ever really sold that was big and significant it was going to net me a bonus if we closed it right like all important i was also at the time playing uh beer league softball <laughs> and uh so my boss gave me his flight time it by, was like it's by seven. the way i love the comedian that says can softball really be a sport is it possible to 
possible to be a sport when you can drink beer while you do it. <laughs> but anyway. I played third base, and I went home with enough bruised knees, thighs, and chests for it to count as a sport. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know? Fair but, enough. I mean, that's going to be my, like, my, my man flex because <laughs> then I'm fucking tough. Other uh, than that, your 50-mile run. When I'm out <laughs> endurance running, yeah. Uh, you know, I did say that, so I'm going to keep yeah. flexing all my physical keep flexing, prowess. Dude. Um, <laughs> uh, so you're so, playing beer so softball. Playing beer softball. Boss tells me his flight time. I'm sorry, guy. Uh, I'm taking the last flight out. Too bad. Well, if anyone, you know, again, audience is Texas. Texas in May. Stormy time. Yeah. And... Uh, so I get to the airport for this 1110 flight or whatever it is out of B terminal, you know, in, in, in DFW, the, the American Eagle terminal and, uh, get changed out of my softball clothes, get changed into the only pair of clothes I had, which was going to be the next day's meeting clothes. Right. Um, I was just going to wear them on the plane, sleep naked, wear them the next day. Bad visual, but go ahead. <laughs> and, uh, so that was my plan. And, Thunderstorms roll in, crazy wind, crazy rain, crazy lightning, damn thing, flight gets canceled. And I'm like, well, fuck, I've got to be at this meeting. Like, I'm going to have to close this deal. My boss hasn't met this guy yet. If I don't make it, I can't, you know, whatever. Right. Like, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to fly home. I'm not going to drive around trip. That'd be crazy. I'm going to go down. I'm going to rent a car, and I'm going to drive from DFW Airport to Wichita and then to El Dorado. So I rent this car, driving through Oklahoma, driving through North Texas, right? Like uh, skies are crazy, lightning, you know, lightning flashes up. You got crazy tornado looking funnel clouds out there, you know, just waiting for the twister moment where the F5 pulls across and have to jump under the bridge. And anyway, make it all the way through the night. I'm all the way through the night. I'm just pounding sugar-free Red Bull and I'm pounding Snickers bars and all kinds of unhealthy bullshit. And the sun starts to come up. Pulling into Kansas, you pull into Kansas, there's like a the double arched big McDonald's sign and like sun's coming up and I'm feeling good. I'm going to make the meeting and getting closer and closer to Wichita and I shit my pants. <laughs> what? I farted and I shit my pants <laughs> in the only pair of clothes I had for this meeting. And so I go like 85 to zero in about two and a half seconds, slam skid on the brakes, jump out of the car, try and keep things from like rolling down the pants, pull the pants off, wipe with my boxers as best as I can, throw the boxers in the median, cleaned up as much as I can, you know, put my pants back on. And I'm like, my pants have some shit on them. I can't go to the meeting looking like this or smelling like this. Right. <laughs> so I get to Wichita and I've got about an hour and a half to spare. And I'm like driving around looking for the 24 hour super Walmart, the Target, the Kmart, whatever. There's. Can't find anywhere to get this done. So I have to go and clean my pants up in a, this was a, it was a Burger King serving breakfast. Uh, I once got busy in a Burger King bathroom. Yeah. Naked exactly. in there, you know, do it like put the latch on, you know, like naked in there, scrubbing the pants with the water, then did you, did you drying them under the <laughs> Go to the meeting, clean, dry pants, only pair of pants. Meeting goes great. 
I thought the whole time I smelled like shit, but I don't know <laughs> that I actually did or if it was just in my nose and in my head. And, uh, you know, flew home. Everything was good. Sold my first big job. And uh, that was my last time I really shit my pants. <laughs> that was about 10 years ago. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was the real kind. You know, it was the it was it was the real kind. So so uh, the Chuck Yates needs a job uh podcast policy on a non just amped right up gotta keep you <laughs> anonymous everyone's gotta poop your pants story and if they don't they're lying to you now that that is very true my poop in the pants stories plural yeah don't have as funny a uh, a spot of or don't have as funny a story to that my my uh my excretion story <laughs> that uh, is um uh, I've been known to maybe have one or two too many cocktails in a night. I have ruined three pairs of boots by getting <laughs> up and peeing in the closet. <laughs> the most epic time I did it, I mean, just beautiful ostrich skin boots. I mean, brand new and all this. I get up the next morning and I'm uh, hung over, the head hurts, I'm watching around. I go in. Literally, the left boot is filled to the top. I didn't hit the carpet. I mean, trunk off my tail. I filled the boot. I can only imagine the amount of concentration. Why I couldn't use that to find the bathroom door is just beyond There me. is no way you did that with two eyes open. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, let's do this. Give me this playlist. And... Yeah. Let me give a little backdrop on it, because now when we get to this point in your episode, you know, 14, 17, 16, 18, whatever episode you are that comes out, at least recording-wise, I've done it three times now. And I really haven't gotten much more beyond just, hey, man, I want you to create a playlist. Don't care what you put on it. Um, you create it, put one song, put 50 songs, I don't care. We'll attach it to the episode. But at the end of the day, I want to hear why the songs are on there. What meaning do they have to you? What? Because I think when you talk music, generally what happens is experiences come out, personality traits come out. Tells me a lot more about you then and the audience a lot more about you than when we were doing kind of five questions and and trying to be funny so with that i said give me a playlist and boy did you give me a playlist i i pledged to myself i was going to listen to your whole playlist while being on the peloton and I almost passed out yeah i think i went back and looked and you had like most people putting a playlist is like five or six songs i i gave you a two hour and six minute long playlist <laughs> you did and, I, and you know honestly i i, I feel the like katie podcast you gave me that <laughs> yes you were expecting uh I, I felt like you were probably expecting without knowing what you're going to get electronic music the reason i like electronic music is because i am such a music person that I've listened to all of the music and I've almost gotten sick of all of the music. Right. And so the reason I love the electronic stuff is that it's new. There's a template, right? There's a formula to program this stuff. Right. There's new stuff coming out all the time and it keeps my brain interested. 
when I started thinking about what I wanted to do for your podcast, it's like, this is what I listen to when I just want to listen to music. And so when I want to feel the music and I would say that like the general theme here, like you've got like the first song on here, right? I'd love to change the world 10 years after second song on here, almost cut my hair. Third friend on here, friend of the devil. Fourth, fourth, fourth song on here. Sorry. It's peace frog. You know, fifth song on here, you got Midnight Rider and Southbound again, and then you get into some country. Um, you know, I think that really the theme here is that, you know, there are there are probably, you know, two sides to everybody. And these songs all talk about individuality. And and I think, you know, especially in this industry, we don't praise individuality enough. I love the hell out of you and I respect you so much because you are who you are. We're sitting here, Chuck's got on an all you need is love sweatshirt. You know what I mean? This is the one that Colin like choked me in, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> and and these songs talk about being different and, and being okay to be different and being okay to live a little bit on the dark side. And, you know, I'm gonna just make a like a big analogy here. You know, you, you go back to oil and gas and you look at who's getting funding now and you look at, you know, the teams that are getting funded. It's guys that have a lot of money that can float it. It's guys that have been there and done that before. Um, but, you know, their peer group is is not making a lot of the decisions anymore in the industry, right? Like their yeah. peer group, it's, it's guys that are more my age and, and there's like kind of this changing of the guard. And I feel like, you know, we kind of have an opportunity to say, hey, it's okay to be you. That's what makes you good. Like That's what makes your business idea okay is because your business idea might be different. Just like it's what makes it okay for you to be different. And, and you know, like a lot of these songs are about the fact that people have kind of two sides to them and, and that's okay. And that's kind of what I wanted to get at as a theme on top of, um, I just love this stuff. Yeah. And so... You know, a lot of it goes back to, you know, it's like Grateful Dead, Doors, Almond Brothers, Buffalo Springfield. Then I've got some Charlie Daniels and I got Warren Zeff on Lawyers, Guns and Money. I mean, you know, like all these songs that forever, you know, you, you look at them, they're, they're written 40, 50 years ago. Well, that was the thing that shocked me because you're right. I had you send it to me because I like to listen to it beforehand and and Chad kind of on the last on the pod I recorded yesterday that'll when people hear this it'll be like three pods ago Chad sent it to me the night before but I didn't really get to look at it so it was more him saying here's what's on it and and reacting to it you sent it to me a few days ago and like I said I was on the Peloton I listened to all two hours of it uh right before I passed out (laughs) but man I think I even texted you saying totally didn't expect this I mean I thought we were going to get into you know, Marshmallow, Skrillex, Dead Mouse, Ceviche, Diplo, who's, by the way, that's a question we'll from EFT, yeah. you know, which one do you like better? But I thought it was going to be a lot of EDM stuff. I was going to have to call my son about it. And uh, you said, no, this is more for when you want a whiskey. Yeah, this is. And, and so what I think is so unique about so many of these songs is, again, they were all written 40 or 50 years ago. And this generation, who's now in their 70s, right, back then, they wanted to change the world. They thought they were going to change the world. They thought they were going to be different. And now there are leaders making our decisions for us that are literally doing the exact same thing that they wanted to change. And they're fucking future generations by printing all of this like debt. And, right. and, and, and my thought is like, 
it's so funny to me that all these guys that were part of this movement in the 60s and 70s that were singing and passionate and writing these songs. Now, of course, the bands aren't responsible for this, but I'm saying the generation felt this way. And then they're just repeating the past mistakes. So you look at Shale, and I'm using this ex, this going out generation that has made all this capital destruction and has caused a lot of the problems. And now it's our generation's turn as a mid-30s guy. Let's learn from this playlist. Let's learn from the mistakes that have been made in the past and let's do it better this time. And let's get better. And like that was like kind of the metaphor I wanted to make with the playlist on top of it just being something that I love. And so as you go down, something that I tried to do was as you go down further and further, you know, I start to pull in some War on Drugs and Kurt Vile and uh, Sturgill Simpson and Chris Stapleton and, you know, try and bring in the new generation of guys that sound like and are preaching the same message as the ones before. And I really do feel like, you know, we can, as EFT, sit here and bitch about all the things that are going on in the industry. But if we don't actively change the incentives up and if we don't actively change the way the business is run, then it's going to be the same mistake that we're going to leave the same shit pile of stuff for the next group of people that comes in. And that's that is really cool because what I've said, because I get the DM, I get the message through LinkedIn. Should I stay in the industry or not? And I said this the other night with energy credit. And I always say this in my text back. Look, if you think things are going to revert to the mean, they're not. I mean, so if you think we're going to get a $500 million equity commitment from somebody to go build greenfield organic pipelines here and there, it's not going to happen. So get out. But if you're willing to figure out a new way to do something, if you're willing to innovate, if you're willing to get your hands dirty, figuring out, yes, stay in it. It's going to be a big, huge business with a lot of dollars because we're as much as I, you know, think highly of Elon Musk. <laughs> bomber can say I'm rolling my eyes. You know, we're we're even if even if a hundred percent of the market for the next ten years is electric vehicles, there's still 1.2 billion internal combustion engines around the world, and they don't break. Those cars in Cuba are still driving around, and they bought them all in the 50s. Yeah, tell that to the billion people in India, mm-hmm. you know, estimated 200 million that are going to have enough money to buy cars in the next 10 years, right? They're not buying. They're not making $20,000 Kia electric vehicles that then we're going to ship over there in 10 years. Like the whole peak demand thing is, it's so premature. And even if it's declining, my whole point is, even if it's declining, it's still a massive business. It's still a massive business. And, you know, one of the things that's so interesting for me is as a mid-30s guy, outside of like someone who's maybe 39 now, like there's nobody between 39 or 40 and 49 in the industry. I mean, in the private equity shops, yeah, but like operating companies, everybody that's five to you know, 15 years older than me, for the majority of them, they went into telecom, they went into some sort of tech, they went into real right, estate, right they went, you know, like software, they, they did something different. And so now you've got these guys, and as these companies are going through these downsizing processes, the big level that keeps getting lost is middle management. And so, yeah, you've got older executives, but when they're done, we're next. And 
it, it, there's an incredible opportunity to try and get as much experience as you can now to be in a position to lead these companies in your 40s. And that is my big motivation, is that if you can just survive for a little while, for five years, that whenever this industry does get fully right-sized, if you have got the representative experience, you're gonna be in an incredible position because the amount of people that have left. And, and, and the industry is not going anywhere, no matter how much people want it to, because people need fossil fuels for everything. Look around this room. You know, my my 18 year old son. We have this discussion all the time. Hey, Charlie, you could put all of the fossil fuel companies out of business tomorrow. And he goes, Wow, Dad, how do I do it? And I go, Turn off your iPhone. Walk down to the store. Don't drive. By the way, turn off the light, turn off your air conditioning. If you don't use energy, nobody's going to produce it. That's correct. Yeah. And it's so, a, it's a, you know, it's a function of basically we've we've shifted the blame somehow and, and the moral hazard if you will from the consumer to the producer and it's the only industry where you have that, right? Like it, it, it's just crazy to me that we as a society don't hold people accountable for their lifestyle choices, but we hold the producers accountable for the production to fund the lifestyle choices that everyone that hates the industry does. Like, I can't think of a more like fucked up relationship out there, right. you know? But yet people like, as the industry, we need smart people that can come in and message better because our messaging is is garbage. and. We need people to understand the benefits that we bring them because there's not a day that goes by, even if you're backpacking in the middle of the Rocky Mountains or Hawaii or Asia, right? Like you're still sleeping in a nylon tent, right? Yeah. Like it, you're just, it is so hard to get away from it. And once you do, you don't want to be there for very long. <laughs> and the strength, the one of the strongest correlations in all of uh, statistics um, is quality of life, hydrocarbons used. And uh, and so I don't say that in terms of we should be polluting all that. No, we should be careful about that. I think the switch from coal to natural gas was a good thing. Me too. I, uh, I do think a lot of what we've done in the industry in terms of cleaning up the hazards has been a good thing. I think there's still more we can do. But at the end of the day, it's a balancing act. It is not a just them bad and then go jump on my private plane and fly somewhere, Leonardo. Right, and it's not just quality of life. It's life expectancy, too, you know? Yeah. I mean, life expectancy has skyrocketed since fossil fuels have been introduced. And if you go, and, and you know, Chris Wright, I'll give him a shout-out, too, uh, Liberty. Um, you know, that, that guy is an energy advocate. Ryan Zorn, also in Colorado, big energy advocate. The big thing that these guys talk about is when you come in and you introduce electricity, you know, to these areas that are burning still dung, you know, for, for heating fuel, like you're extending people's lives because the particulates that are being inhaled in these homes are literally killing these people. And so it's just crazy to me that we're trying, there's this vilification on something that's making people's lives longer, making people healthier. Um, and the message is just is just wrong. I mean, it, you know, can we be better as an industry? Can we be better as a society? Can we get cleaner? Yes, we should be striving towards that every single day. We should be incentivizing new technology, green technology. We as an industry should be implementing renewables everywhere that we can. 
you know, so we don't have to pay a line drop. Now we can just generate our own electricity, like all the things that we should be doing, we're getting there. But globally, because it's bigger than us, you know, fossil fuels are improving people's lives and they're elongating people's lives. And, and that's just not widely held. Right. And, and so I don't know. I'm off my soapbox on that one. I'm sorry. No, but I think no, I think that's right. And there are a whole lot of reasons and we could probably do a whole podcast on how we got to the point of not being very good messengers, i.e. we were getting rich. We didn't care at certain times. We actually think that frat completion recipes are secret sauce and we got to be secretive about it because our recipe is better than theirs. No, it's not. It's water and sand, you know? And <laughs> right. So there are a whole lot of reasons on why <clears throat> we got to this point. But you're right. At the end of the day, we need to do a better job of messaging. One of the things that I really like about what you just did is, you know, Sinek, when he came on, he really called for leadership. He said, there's no leadership in the industry. We're going through this shit show. Who's stepping up and doing it? To his credit, uh, Energy Credit did the oil field helping hands yep. fundraise, almost $200,000, which was a really very good cool. thing. Yeah, it was very, very cool. A lot of people joined in on that. Um, and 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 so I thought that was a neat, a neat deal. The thing I liked that I don't think I had appreciated, and that's the coolest thing about doing this podcast, I get to learn is just your take of, hey man, we're about to take the mantle and we don't wanna fuck it up like those guys did. Yep. And I think that's, that's cool. So on the last podcast with Energy Credit, I really pushed him and I think he accepted it in terms of coming up with some guidelines on things like, uh, more transparency and the like, thinking public companies would actually trade better. You know, an oil and gas company publishes one reserve report a year. Yeah. And until not too long ago, they used to just use the price on the last day of the year. I mean, and and the like. And so uh, we joked about him getting with Skilling, getting with Cynic, and and creating maybe this this governance, transparency type stuff. You know, it'd be cool if uh, not that you have enough to, to do already. But, you know, if you went and put some thoughts down on what the next generation should be doing, I think people would love to hear it. Okay. You're a thoughtful guy. Challenge accepted. Nice. I like it. Yeah. I feel like an old school, uh, old school general. I'm just barking <laughs> out orders and now I'm going to get back to the wine. <laughs> it, it's a good idea. It's a great idea. Um, it needs to be done. It needs to be thought about because, you know, I, I, I Everything I say is going to make it more and more directly who I am. But you know, I, I'm I'm part of a little group that that um, you know tries to like focus on some leadership up in Colorado. And uh, historically, this program has brought in a bunch of guys in their mid 50s and 60s to come talk about all the successes they had. And it seems easy, right? You just do this and you stand this up and you raise this money and you sell it for a billion dollars and poof, right? Right. Like, and we've really had to, as a group, as we're helping the next class along and all this stuff really start to be more thoughtful about how we're helping them prepare for what it looks like next. And, and, and that is a huge piece is helping people be prepared and helping people understand where you can extract value. I across every bit of the industry. And so something I will say, and I'll, I'll give a shout out. I, I can't say too much, but I was meeting with an operator a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, and we had this very same conversation that as a, as an upstream operator, You've got 
multiple different uh, value chains or value streams, depending on how you want to say it, uh, where you can where you can pull out, extract value or bring margin right. to yourself. And, and, and historically, you know, it's been service costs, it's been midstream costs, and it's been downstream TNF, you know, net back type costs. And that's really where people focused. But, you know, as you start to look at this stuff, you know, there are ways that you can really reduce your costs if you think outside the box. And we talked about, you know, we talked about um, microgrids earlier. Right. Uh, that's something that people should be exploring. People should be exploring putting, you know, losing line drops and putting in solar if they can. People should be looking. Uh, there's a technology, there's a company out there called Lilac, and they are basically taking mining lithium out of brine water. You know, there is a company out there right now um, that New Mexico State is uh, in the process of funding that could potentially turn produced water um, through reverse osmosis into fresh water. And then you actually can keep all the, the fresh water and send it back down hole without having to send it to an SWD. And you've essentially I mean, right. lost an entire part of your midstream value system. So if, if you're a producer, you should be thinking about where you can save dollars or where you can generate revenue along every single step of the value chain. And if you can do that, then, then you're gonna wind up being able to set the stage to either grow with scale or to be in a position where the majors and the larger companies are gonna look at your, your operating model and say, this is what we need to go do, right? Like Oxy puts this big pie in the sky, we're gonna be a carbon capture company, right? Like, I mean, excuse me for not believing in them, but I don't think that that is as easier said than done without tax credits being out there and without, you know, like, listen, like you can go drill and I know I'm jumping around, but like you can go drill right now a helium well if you want to go try and chase helium that's got 65% CO2 in it and you can rip off and separate the CO2 at the wellhead and send the CO2 back down hole and you get tax credits for it, right? Like <laughs> right. that is insane. You should not be getting tax credits for something that you pulled out of the ground so you can go get a different thing unless that is a nationally you know, needed right. resource that you're going after. Helium, you, know, you could argue might be for semiconductors and stuff. But my point is like, whether than going and like chasing after a tax credit and building a business off of that, and I get it that worked for Tesla, that's yeah. fine. But why not look at it at a smaller scale and do it along again every single step of the value chain that's going to be the future of the industry and that's how people need to be thinking and that's how people need to be running their businesses and that's how private equity groups need to be looking at this and then public companies should be looking to private companies to go purchase a private company that's doing it right and then making that their operating platform yeah and and i've gotten on this soapbox a hundred different times in various forums, so I won't do it again, but my whole thesis is just historically we operated oil and gas companies like they were a lottery ticket. You know, something happened, the Saudis embargo and oil triples. All right, I'm rich, you know, or 3D seismic comes along. I can hit a bright spot. Boom, I'm rich, you know, and that is done now. Yeah. I mean, there is no lottery ticket here except for higher prices and I don't even think materially higher prices are suddenly going to make you rich, given the amount of leverage in the business uh, or in the industry. You know, you were referring to it uh, earlier. Management promotes are underwater and and all that. And so you're right. You got to run a very thoughtful business. You got to worry about nickels and dimes. 
And so I like that train of thought. I'll add I'll add a little bit more to to your homework assignment. Okay. You got to be able to figure out how we can suck volatility out of the system so that we're not hiring 50 reservoir engineers one year and six months later laying them off. We've, we've, yeah. got, to, we've got to solve that problem. We've got to make more stability uh, in, in the companies. And then, and then, you know, to the big picture point that we all know, you know, this is great. When I worked for a guy at Stevens, I came in one time and I had written a pitch book. Uh, I mean, I'd spent like weeks writing it. And we go through the meeting, and after the meeting, closes the door. It's just me and him. And he goes, Yates, I swear to God, we don't write original stuff like that. Investment <laughs> banking is the art of stating the obvious with an air of discovery. <laughs> okay. But, you know, at the risk of stating the obvious with an air of discovery, it's we really have to figure out how to be consistently more profitable. Yes. You know, even in downtimes, hedge against it. Yeah. And, and that's and that's going to come from a, a headcount reduction, which is probably going to be mostly organic because people are losing their jobs yeah. now. And what needs to happen is there needs to be a partnership with Silicon Valley or with big tech. Yeah. And and we need to sh be open book with them. And we need to share and allow them to come and disrupt our industry and, and automate processes for us. And that's not going to come without being an open book. And and that is what's gonna ultimately save us is that you can run an operating company with people in the field and only a couple of people in the office and a lot of good computers. Yeah. And, um, and Business and School it, 101, and right? And Low margin business, you gotta automate. That's right, right? And, and it's sad, and it's sad. And so, you know, I think, you know, you talk about volatility, we can talk about price volatility for a second. You know, since 2010, Anytime that, that, that prices have, have come up, you, you've seen, you know, just people throw more rigs at it, right? Like throw more rigs at it. I think the difference that you're going to see this time is the access to capital is going to be more starved. Um, and so what I do think will kickstart midstream M&A is that producer-owned systems are going to be coming for sale because they're going to need to go sell something that they've got and turn in a, uh, an asset in exchange for a fee. Right. And, and that will allow them to, to go drill. But... The equity markets, I just cannot see allowing, even at 75 or 85 bucks, uh, allowing a, a, another drilling bonanza to happen. I, I think that we are going to be constrained by economics and by lending and by the ESG movement, and that prices, even if they come up, we can't go do what we've done the last two cycles where we've just flooded the market again with North American shale gas and, 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 and oil. Um, because I just I don't think that there's going to be access to capital to go get it unless you're selling your own assets. And, and I agree 110 percent. It's not coming back. So I mean, that volatility is just I mean, it's 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 less of a risk to me in the future. The volatility is like what's outside of our control, what's OPEC going to do, what's demand going to do. Um, and that can be partially solved by technology. Yeah. So no, really good point, because we've talked on the pod with various folks here about, you know, we've got the red problem and the green problem. I think the red problem, obviously, the losses in the industry over the last 10 years, last decade, have scared the capital away. The green problem is what keeps them away. It's yeah. real. I mean, you let the green, you let a board of trustees say, we're not gonna do this because it's hydrocarbon based. 
that's really tough to undo. Yeah, so. and, and and you get away from the United States, and it's an even more real problem. You know, I mean, the U.S. still has the 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 legacy and the history of oil and gas production, right? Where like it's it, it it's a big it's a big part of the economy in a lot of states. You get over to the EU, and they are quick to to nix it, and, and you just have to feel like it's coming at some point here because of the ESG movement. Yeah, and, and specifically the the E part of it. Yeah, no question. Well, Bomber, you're cool to do this, but we got to close it with uh, with one question from our mutual friend, Fraxlap. He basically asked the question, are the Hooters going to be able to survive <laughs> given COVID? I think that that business model is always going to sell. <laughs> there you go. The food has been bad historically. You could even argue that the looks have been bad historically. <laughs> but for some reason, and I just don't understand I can't it, put my finger on it. I don't know what it is. People keep showing up. There you go. So frack slap, sleep well tonight. You'll be okay. <laughs> Bomber, too cool of you to do this. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. Awesome.